Good morning, everybody. Welcome here on this wintry Sunday morning. I'm so glad to be here with you. Like my lovely wife Shannon said, my name is Gino Allison, and I'm one of the pastors here. And I want to welcome you all to the South Suburban Vineyard Church, especially on the last Sunday of the year. It's my honor to be here with you this morning. Special welcome to those of you who might be visiting with us for the very first time. I see some faces that I don't recognize, which is pretty common occurrence around here. So welcome, because we know you have options. You probably passed a dozen churches on your way here. And so we're grateful that you're worshiping here with us today. And also welcome to those of you who are watching us and worshiping with us via a live stream. So glad to have you on the stream as well. Well, before I get into the word this morning, I just want to say um, that I'm just very grateful that uh, I serve in a very generous church. You know, as the year ends, we haven't closed the books, the financial books just yet on 2023, but this has been by a lot the most prosperous year financially uh, at SSV, and a lot of that is due to your faithful generosity. We've also, had, yeah, give it up for yourselves. Give it up for yourselves. Um, that's also situated in a year where we had qu- quite a few things going on, several special offerings. We launched a brand new uh, building campaign, and despite having those extra things going on, you have continued to be very, very generous. For the last month or so, we've collected our annual holiday offering, and I just want to say thank you because we've raised almost $3,800 for that particular offering that went last week to people in our community who have needs that we know about, and we regularly get thanks for, the, for those people because God saw them and met them through your generosity. If you're new here, you may not know, but you might have something's going on, the, the, the lobby out there looks a little disheveled, but we have engaged our even more than we could imagine uh, building campaign. We bought this building five years ago, something like that, and this year we decided that we needed a, a lobby, and we asked you guys to give toward that and to sow toward that and to faithfully ask the Lord what you might give toward that, and we have received over uh, nearly $120,000 in pledges, and since September we have raised some thirty-three. $1,000, that's just today, since September. And so that 33000 or so has come both from people who have pledged, but also people who are new, new here, people who just want to plug into what God is doing. And so I want to say first, thank you so much. A lot of what you our guys are giving are helping move the vision forward here, and we're in a little bit of a standstill because we're waiting for our flooring to come in. That's the next really big piece. And so I'm told... And I've been told stuff before, so I'm telling you tentatively that the flooring is supposed to be delivered on Friday and installed the following Monday. So don't hold me to that. I'm just telling you what they told me. But once the flooring goes in place and all the other things like the bathroom partitions and all the other stuff go in. So I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for those of you who have given. And if you're new and you say, hey, I don't want to get left behind in this. I want to participate. There's a way for you to participate. There's our Imagine booklet on the back table back there. All the information you need or you can ask one of the pastors and we'll gladly catch you up. So once and again, thank you so much for your faithful generosity. Let me get into the word today. Well, when I was a boy, uh, I, I loved uh, hanging out with my father. Uh, and so some of you, if you know my story, you know that I am the only boy and I have seven sisters, right? <laughs> uh, technically six. My aunt was raised with us, and so we don't consider her our aunt. We consider her our sister, and so Vanette is my sister. And so I say I have seven sisters, and even when my parents were sort of trying over and over, trying to get that boy, I even came out with a twin sister. So uh, 
the Lord saw fit to bring me into the world with a, with, a, with a girl attached to me, right? But because it was just me and my father in the house, I wanted to go with him wherever he would go. I often joke and say, my father went out to the mailbox. I thought he was maybe trying to slip away without me. So whenever he left the house, I would always go with him. And I, I as, as young men do, I just had an opportunity, having spent so much time with my late father, I, I would just sort of study him and just sort of watch in close proximity to just how he handled life and how he handled people. And then watching, especially with my young eyes, I saw so many things that fascinated me. I'll never forget this time I was out with my father. I, had, I don't know how old I was. I was a really young guy. And we're out, and, and this guy runs up to my father and says, Gino, they call my dad Gino too. Gino, look, let me hold $5, man, until I get my check. And so my father reaches in his pocket. Now, I'm looking at this guy. I don't know much, but this guy doesn't look like the type of guy that's going to give this $5 back, right? My father reaches in his pocket, and he gives this guy this money, and the guy profusely said, listen, man, I'm gonna give you, I might give you back more. You know, I don't remember the exact uh, uh, details, but this guy slinks away. And again, I say to my father, I don't think that dude's going to give you that money back. And my father, as he often do, every, every day was a lesson. And he would say, Gino, I just bought that guy for $5. So what do you mean? He said, that guy's not going to pay my money back. You are right. But he is going to avoid me like the plague. If he sees me coming, he's going to cross the street or duck into the alley. I just bought him for $5. My father would say things to me, like, see me fumbling for my money in the store, he'd say, Gino, don't pull your billfold out the store, man. Okay, put the big bills on the inside, put the little bills on the outside. You're going to spend little money before you spend big money. And so just have your billfold with your short bills on the top. That way you don't have to pull all your bills out every day with something like this. And so as I would just sort of watch my father and how he interacted with people and how people interact with him, I come to see and understand that my father had uh, charisma, or, or as the kids say today, he had riz, right? But more than charisma, my father was wise. He was wise. He wasn't surprised by the events of life. He knew how to interact with people. He kind of had this sense of knowing what was going to happen before it happened. Like none of my problems that I had or these dilemmas that would boggle my mind boggled his. He was wise. And let me tell you something. On the tippy top of the list of things that I want to be when I grow up, <laughs> and I'm still growing up, I want to be wise. It was Dr. Cornell West who said, let our phones be smart but let the people be wise. Uh, let our phones be smart, but let the people be wise. Friends, I think that one of the greatest needs for this hour is wisdom. It's not lost on me that we are situated at the doorway of a brand new year. Some of us, as Brother Steve said, can look back to this year and we've had some high highs and some low lows. And it's often the case a lot of those low lows weren't due to us being terrible people. It probably had more to do with us being unwise and lacking the requisite wisdom to choose well and to exercise good judgment. And as we stand here at the doorway to a brand new year, pondering what to bring before the people to prime you 
to respond well, to lean into this brand new year and all God has for you, I want to talk about wisdom over the next few weeks. It's my privilege to begin a new teaching series that we're simply calling How to Be Wise. How to be wise. At the gateway of this new year, I can think of a whole lot of things I want, chief among them for this four-year to be done, right? I've got a wish list a mile long, and so do you, but I can't think of anything that I need more than wisdom and to be wise. We're heading into a very consequential election year with many issues for us to ponder and vote on and form our values and opinions and to live our lives on. Collectively, we need wisdom to navigate that well. Personally, uh, the realities of stewarding a lovely wife and being a good husband, stewarding my four boys that the Lord has given me and just being a good steward of the family that God has tasked me to lead. I need wisdom, not to speak of my job as a vocational minister of the gospel, leading this growing complex, multi-ethnic, multicultural church, I need wisdom. I need wisdom for the things that I know are coming in the new year, but I especially need wisdom for those things that are going to hop out from behind the bush to surprise me. You need wisdom. I need wisdom. And so in recent years, I found a few helpful definitions of wisdom, and one of my favorite preachers said that wisdom is simple, simply skill in living. Skill in living. Another person put it just a few weeks ago, competence with regard to life's realities. Competence with regard to life's reality. I like that. Because if you've ever watched somebody who was skilled and really competent either in their vocation or a hobby, it's, it's something to behold, isn't it? You ever seen a good teacher in action, right? You ever seen a good painter, right? Like when I paint, I'm covered in it. I am covered in it. And I got to use all kinds of tape to get the lines straight. But if you watch a good painter, there's no paint on them. And they just cut those lines so straight. It's amazing to watch. A good hairdresser, a good custodian, somebody who's good as a baker, maybe even the guy making the funnel cakes down at the carnival. You just see that this guy knows what he's doing, right? They make the complex look simple. And that's because they have years of experience, knowledge, and they put that with good uh, judgment, and that converges together to make them really good at what do. But if you're a wise person, you are skilled at how you live your life. And if you think it's impressive to see someone being skilled at a trade or a hobby, nothing is more impressive to me than to see somebody who is skilled at living their life. But being wise isn't just following the rules. In fact, wisdom, in my opinion, has very little to do with following the rules. I love how one of my favorite preachers, Tim Keller, puts it. He says, wisdom shines in the spaces of life where, where the rules don't help you, right? The, the rules are the rules. Don't kill anybody. Don't steal from anybody. Be honest, right? Those are pretty clearly defined. But wisdom helps you in the, in the gray areas of life. When you come to those forks in the road where none of the options you have really break the rules. As Christians, as followers of Jesus who have allowed the scriptures to set our standard for living life, oftentimes it's clear 
what's off limits and what we shouldn't do. But when we're faced with two like decent options, when we're at a fork in the road where both of these options are permissible, wisdom asks us which of these two options are constructive, are wise, which of these two options are prudent. And both options will do, but one will blow up your life and the other won't. One will result in years of financial freedom and the other will result in financial ruin. One will cause you peace in your home and the other will roll a grenade of chaos into the family room. And even as you sit here right now, you can think about this and how you know this is true, right? Because somebody in here in a room this size or somebody watching me online has taken a job that they shouldn't have taken. They let that little figure on the, on the paper that they slid you, slid you across the table make the decision and, and ignore all the red flags of a toxic company culture. And you took a job that you shouldn't have taken and it's taken years off your life and set you back vocationally years. Somebody in this room, maybe not all of us, but somebody in this room has dated somebody that they shouldn't have dated. You took one look at her and you said, mm, I may not get another sister to look this good. Despite all the red flags, you went forward to your detriment, right? And some of you married somebody that you shouldn't have married. And that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> Somebody's laughing too loud. You need wisdom. Maybe you said something or posted something online that blew up the relationship that on, on paper, it was fine. It was true. You didn't intend to do any harm, but it was unwise. It was imprudent. Maybe you hired somebody you shouldn't have hired or you messed up the kids in a way because you weren't wise. You get where I'm going? You didn't break the rules. You were just unwise. And here's the deal. We need wisdom because we've never had more choices to make than we do right now. I envy our early ancestors just a little bit because they didn't have all these choices to make. Their family picked their spouse for them. Listen, you're marrying Jimmy down the road. Well, what does he look like? Is he nice? It doesn't matter. We gave their family a few goats. Go get your husband. They didn't have a thousand boxes of cereal to choose from. They didn't have social media. They didn't have to figure out which streaming services they were going to pay for. But now, from cereal to streaming services, like we have so many decisions to make. From which school do we go to? Or how do we appropriate pronouns? We've never had more decisions to make than we do now. And so therefore, we need wisdom. And when we look at scripture, we see that our purpose for being on this earth is to love God and to love people. We say that so much. And I say that so often because we are designed by our creator to live life a certain way. And when we live life according to how he designed it, life just works better. It functions better. And so God's wisdom is his gift to us to help us at life's many forks in the road. And so when we seek and apply the wisdom of God, we become over time 
wise. And as we become wise, we become skilled at living life the way that God intended. And as we become skilled at living life, we find that life gets not easy, but easier. And that easier reaches back toward that functionality that comes and visits your life and stays when you live your life God's way. Because as the scripture says, the way of a fool is hard. Or like I tell my kids, life is hard when you're stupid. <laughs> Life's harder than it has to be when you're foolish, right? And so this is the, this is the truth. So one of the one in many ways that we find God's wisdom, of course, is through Scripture. And there are certain books of the Bible. First of all, wisdom is found all throughout Scripture. But there are certain books of the Bible that are known as wisdom literature. Uh, these books include Job, Ecclesiastes, portions of the uh, book of Psalms, Song of Psalms, and of course, uh, many of us are familiar with the book of Proverbs. And today we're going to look at the opening chapter of the book of Proverbs to springboard us into this series. I'm not going to sort of camp out in this text this morning, but I want to springboard us into this series and just set the groundwork for what we're going to build upon over the next few weeks. I'm, I'm calling this message simply Wisdom 101, just the basics of wisdom as we get into this series. We're going to be looking at Proverbs chapter 1, and so you can meet me there in your Bibles if you have a Bible with you. If you'd like to follow along in the Bible, there are paper Bibles at the edges of your row. Feel free to use those. You can also interact with the text with your mobile device, your phone, or your tablet, or whatever. We'll also be projecting the, the, um, the words to the scriptures on the screens. We're talking about Wisdom 101 this morning. I'm in Proverbs chapter 1. While you find that, let me pray for us. Dear Lord, we thank you. For another day we thank you lord for another year and an opportunity to enter this new year wiser than we left um and lord we know that we have things that we like to do over choices that we get to remake but we don't necessarily get to do that but we do have as an opportunity to move forward and to honor you with another calendar year that it is a privilege to receive. And so, Lord, I pray that you would teach us and instruct us this morning. I pray that we would have a posture to receive from you today and not just receive from you, but to respond to you in a way that you would be pleased with. So come, Holy Spirit, we ask. Put power on these words that you've given me to speak. Move the preacher out of the way so I'm not a distraction. And make the truth and light shine through. We ask all these things in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Proverbs chapter 1. I'm going to start at verse 2. These are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline to help them understand the insights of the wise. The purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives to help them to do what is right, just, and fair. These proverbs will give insight to the simple, knowledge and discernment to the young. Let the wise listen to these proverbs and become even wiser. Let those with understanding receive guidance by exploring the meaning in these proverbs and parables, the words of the wise in their riddles. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. I want to read verse 7 again. Fear of the Lord 
is the foundation of true knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and discipline. This is the word of the Lord. So in this opening chapter of Proverbs, perhaps the most popular of the wisdom text, this uh, opening chapter helps us to assume the right posture as we engage this particular piece of wisdom literature. Um, But I think we can use it, and I hope we can use it to set our posture to engage wisdom itself, right? This text is helping us sort of enter this book with the right posture, helping us to understand the purpose of this wisdom literature. But I'd like us to use this text today, among other things, to help set our posture toward wisdom in general, right? That our posture toward wisdom in general, I think there's something in here for us. And I'd like to, just this morning, just give you just a few basics of wisdom that we will build on for the next couple of weeks. And I'll use this text today as a springboard. The first thing I see in this text is fear the Lord. If you want to be wise, fear the Lord. This instruction comes at the end of the passage that we read today, but I want to start with it because it's so central to where wisdom actually comes from. Fear the Lord. But what does it really mean to fear the Lord? And we talk about this a lot over the years. I understand how easy it is to misunderstand uh, what it means to fear the Lord because we just have so many different uses for the word fear, right? But let me explain it to you this way. As a kid, I came to Christ because, mostly because I was afraid of hell. (laughs) No questions asked, right? And I don't know about you, but in our youth group, they would show us these videos that you probably couldn't get away with showing now. Movies like The Burning Hell, that was the name of it. And they would sit us in a dark room (laughs) and we would have to watch this depiction of what like hell was gonna be like. And there was always some type of, you know, reminder that you don't wanna go there. And I don't know, maybe we should bring it back because it was really effective. And whenever I thought about turning around, like some youth group leader or my parents knew that like if they could just remind you, if you think it's hot now, you know, it was really helpful. And I think it's helpful to discuss it now because somehow, some way we've drifted from this notion that uh, the wrath of God is like a real thing and that God hates sin and his disposition that he wants to, like, get rid of it, which is why the gospel is great, right? But sometimes, somehow we've drifted, right? But I've come to understand that fear of God's wrath or getting in trouble will only keep you in line to a point. If if there's not something deeper than that, something more than that, it, it tends to not have staying power. It's helpful in order to bring order to our chaos, and help bring some consequence to our issues and folly. It helps us to regulate our impulses, but that can't be the only way we look to God, right? I'll put it to you this way. As a kid, I told you earlier that I really uh, was fond of my father, but I feared the Reverend Gene Allison. And my teachers and neighbors knew that just the mention The mention of his name was enough to help me straighten up 
if I'd gotten out of line. But as I got older, as I got more mature, as I began to evolve as a person, as a son, um, I got to a place where I'm not, I wasn't just afraid of getting in trouble. The fear of the wrath of my father wasn't the only thing that kept me on the straight and narrow. It became bigger to me than that. Because as I got older, as I got to know him and he got to know me, as I began to mature, his opinion of me mattered. I didn't want to disappoint him. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I didn't want to let him down. I wanted to meet and even exceed his expectations. And I even became to see, came to see him as wise, as somebody who had the answers. Somebody who could help me get through life. A lot of the things that I was sure of fell flat and the things that he said actually worked. And so in time, I became connected in a way to his wisdom. And so as I talk to you this morning about my evolution as a son and how I came to see my father, I'm trying to describe the multi-layered anatomy of what, what we might call reverent fear. It's not just, I'm afraid that I'm going to get slapped, so I better keep it together. But wrapped up in this complex, multi-layered thing we call reverent fear was all the things that I described. And when you put this all together, you can begin to see that reverent fear is deeper than, being fe than the fear of being spanked or punished or put in time out. I didn't want my father to be disappointed with me. And as life unfolds, you see that the old man kind of knew what he was talking about, right? And in the same way, it is true with the Lord. Over time, his values became my values. Over time, I began to like what he liked, and I want to try it. The people who he were suspicious of, my father, I became suspicious of. Those who impressed him and time impressed me. Right now, in a natural sense, this breaks down over time because there comes a time where you see your father's humanity, and you see your father's fallibility, and it is a really interesting moment when that happens, but it doesn't break down with God. Because God is all-knowing, he's all-powerful, he's all-wise, he's incorruptibly good, and as you come to have faith in him and trust in him, what grows is that reverent fear. Now this is hard to come by because of, I don't know, sin and selfishness, our natural desire to want to run our own life, to be our own boss, um, because what happens over time is the wisdom of God is going to confront that sinful instinct. And in confronting that sinful instinct, the wisdom of God is going to show us that our priorities are out of whack. And because our priorities are out of whack, we need God's wisdom and we need to fear the Lord and sit him on the throne of our heart so that he can be the main thing, the number one thing that helps us order all the things that will come below it. Now, here's, don't miss this. If you miss anything, don't miss this. When we say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, we mean that if you fear the Lord above all else, put him in the proper place on the throne of your heart, he will, his wisdom will, through his spirit, he will help you figure out what comes second, what comes third, 
what comes forth, what comes fifth. If you choose, however, to put God in any other slot, even if it's a close second, your life isn't going to work the way it's supposed to work. And some of your lives and the wreckage behind you bear witness to the fact that you have had God in some other spot other than first. Doesn't matter what other slot he's in, your life is going to be lived out unwisely because the fear of the Lord helps us to what order our priorities. To put it a different way, the old folks used to say, if God is smiling at you, it doesn't matter who's frowning at you. And if God is frowning at you, it doesn't really matter who's smiling. That is to say that if God is pleased with his position at number one in your life, everybody else and everything else, they'll just have to deal with it. Because the beginning of wisdom is fear of the Lord. And many of you, as you look at your life, and maybe you haven't lived a disastrous life, but you've got some divine sense that your life isn't as it should be. If you just think about what's really first in your life, what's really important, whose opinion of you really matters more than anything, most, if not all of us, even at this present moment, if we're honest, will confess that God is not in that number one spot. Maybe it's your significant other. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's your boss or employer. And you've come to discover that the disorder and maybe even the chaos of your life has maybe something to do with the fact that you don't, in a way that God would approve of, fear the Lord. Let me tell you, as the preacher putting this together this week, I was arrested by the fact that even the preacher needs to work on this right here. Fear the Lord. Well, there's more. I could stay on that all, all morning, but there's more. The second thing I find is a basic for wisdom is that wisdom must be pursued. It must be pursued. Pursue wisdom. You got to go after it. You have to go and get it. That is to say, wisdom doesn't usually come and fall in your lap. Now, sometimes it does, especially when you're younger, right? God is gracious, he's kind, he brings things your way, but I have found that as I get older, wisdom doesn't come and knock on my door. Typically, what comes and knock on my door is the kind of stuff that I shouldn't open the door for. You know, I'm, that's why you love you know I'm right. The stuff that keeps coming at my door, the stuff that comes to me easily is the last thing I need. Wisdom typically has to be pursued. You got to go and get it. Verse 5 says, let the wise listen to these proverbs and become even wiser. Let those with understanding receive guidance by exploring the meaning of these proverbs and parables, the words of the wise and their riddles. Listen, explore. I love these two very active words. Listen, active listening. Explore, investigate the matter, right? 
I love what Proverbs chapter 2, verse 2 says, tune your ears to wisdom. Listen to all the verbs here. Tune your ears to wisdom and concentrate on understanding. Cry out for insight and ask for understanding. Search for them as you would for silver. Seek them like hidden treasures. Then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord and you will gain knowledge of God for the Lord grants wisdom from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. You get the sense that this is an active and not a passive reality. You have to actively seek this wisdom out. One of the wisest men that ever lived, King Solomon, and the author of much of this wisdom literature, we hear, we read in 2 Chronicles chapter 2 how he came to be so wise. Verse 7 says, that night God appeared to Solomon and said, what do you want? Ask and I will give it to you. Solomon replied to God, you showed great and faithful love to, to David, my father, and now you have made me king in his place. Oh, Lord God, please continue to keep your promise to David, my father, for you have made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me the wisdom and knowledge to lead them properly, for who could possibly govern this great people of yours? So the Lord slid up to Solomon and said, I'll give you whatever you want, just name it. Now, if it's me, I would immediately ask for more wishes, right? I would ask for more things that way, I could, right? But Solomon was onto something, and the Lord typically let him give you this sort of thing, and he knows you might handle it well. What does Solomon ask for? He's got to lead God's people, He's got huge shoes to follow, uh, to fill. No doubt a whole lot of complications might flow from his father's dealings, right? He needs what? Wisdom. And I wonder if the Lord slid up to you or you found a genie, a dusty genie in the basement somewhere and it gave you one wish. Like, how many of us, how many of us would ask for wisdom for those children you have to raise to steward your singleness well? to make good vocational decisions, to, to help dig yourself out of the financial mess you are in, to love the Lord with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and all your strength. How many of you are wise enough to ask for wisdom? Not many of us are, which is why the Bible is so full of passages like this that tells us, go get Wisdom. And it's not like you go get wisdom and then you're done. You got it in the cupboards and it's not perishable. I mean, King Solomon will tell you that. <laughs> I need not just wisdom for today, but I need wisdom for tomorrow. I need wisdom when I was a teenager, but I got a different set of issues when I met this woman and we got married. Like, I need, a, I need some new wisdom. And the wisdom the Lord poured out when we got married, guess what? These little kids start popping out everywhere. I need some wisdom for that. I needed wisdom years ago to lead my small group. I need a different kind of wisdom to lead this church. You, you hear what I'm saying? You, you never, like, stop needing wisdom. You never stop needing to go back to the living word over and over. You never need... Grow, outgrow 
the need to have your ear toward heaven for like some fresh wisdom for today because you got a new set of circumstances today. You listen, you didn't have social media when you were growing up. You got it now. And if you want to act a fool on that platform or if you want to stop acting a fool on that platform, like you need some fresh wisdom for today. Doesn't matter what age you are. My father used to say all the time, your best thinking has got you in the worst shape of your life. At one point, do you say, Lord, I need a new blueprint. This isn't working. I need some new plays to run, coach. I need wisdom. I need wisdom. Proverbs 4 verse 6 says, don't forsake wisdom and she will protect you. Love her, she will watch over you. Wisdom is supreme, therefore get wisdom. Though it costs you all you have, get understanding, right? And so there are a number of ways to seek wisdom, prayer, the counsel of the scripture, sound teaching, but one really great way, which brings me to the third sort of landing place, uh, is through wise people. So part of what it means to pursue wisdom is to sort of seek out wise people. To seek out wise people. I, there's only so much wisdom you're going to get reading the book. This is divinely inspired. The Lord has immensely blessed me with wisdom from the scripture, coupled by the spirit power to help me understand this. But, 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 the, but the real stuff, the, the stuff that sticks... The stuff that is most meaningful to me has come in the council and in the company of wise people. In, in the company, in the words, and in the lifestyle that I've been able to be proximate to of wise people. Listen, you are at a, a real deficit if you don't have some wise people in your life. And when I look back over my life, as a person who gets to preach here often, you hear my story, and you've heard me say this numerous times, but when I look back over my life, one of God's great blessings toward me is that at every place, in every station of my life, there's been somebody, or multiple somebodies, who God had assigned to me, maybe not forever, but for that particular window of my life, to be somebody who is just wise counsel for me. Can, can, can many of you say the same thing? You look back over your life, and some of you weren't fortunate enough to have wise parents, and so a lot of your dysfunction has come from the people who were supposed to help you out in life, but God was faithful to have an aunt or, or a grand person or somebody down at the rec center or a youth pastor or somebody along the way, and I have learned to pay attention to those who are wise. And in my younger years, they came and found me by God's grace but at this age, how many of you know, I gotta go knock on some doors. Come on, somebody, I have to go and knock on some doors. I have to make some calls. I find a guy, I say, man, this brother's wife, he's, she's always smiling. I want my wife to smile like that. What's your secret? Man, I, this person has something that I need. Can, can I get a moment of your time? 
This is why some of you guys call me and say, listen, Pastor, I hate to bug you. And really, I, I don't like it when you start our conversation that way. <laughs> One, I get paid to do this. Like, I will get a check to do this, right? But what I often tell people is, listen, don't feel bad because I got people that I call. When I get in a hole, and I don't really care what time it is. Because one of God's greatest gifts to me and you, if you, make, if, if you, if you use them, is wise people. But you got to leverage it. Proverbs 20, verse 19 says, get all the advice and instruction you can so you will be wise for the rest of your life. Proverbs 12, 1, to learn you must love discipline. It is stupid to hate correction. It's stupid. Like the Bible said that. I didn't say that. And so I'm camping out here a little bit because some of us are really bad at this. You're not just oblivious to the people that God has put in your life to bring you wisdom and to help you be disciplined and to help you see that which you don't see. You have um, actively run them off. You've actively or passively run them away. And I have found that when it comes to being wise and these gifts, they are gifts from God that God will place in my life, I had to lean toward them. I had to give them permission. I have to say something like this. If you see something, say something. If you see something, say something. And one of the greatest gifts to me is this growing number of seniors that have moved toward SSV in these last few years. I'm giddy with excitement for this wealth of wisdom because some of these wonderful seniors, they don't need my permission <laughs> to come and tell me about stuff. I remember one service, I was talking about something and I got really worked up about a value of ours and I said something like, if you don't like it, don't let the doorknob hit you. And my dear sister, Michelle, <laughs> she didn't wait until I asked her. She came up and she said, good message, Pastor. She's always very encouraging. But she kind of took me to the woodshed a little bit. <laughs> and she kind of helped me to see that you could have said that same thing a better way. And you know what I said? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> and throughout the years, I'm blessed to be in a small group with Brother Tyreek and Sister Evelyn and Kim and these wonderful folks who God has brought toward this community with experience, skill at living, competency with regard to life's up and down. They've been through some stuff and they would love it if we could avoid some of their pitfalls by just listening to them. You understand what I'm saying? But we have to make space we have to move toward them. We have to deputize the wise people in our life to speak wisdom to us. We have to move toward the wise. And I wonder if you could just take three or four seconds to think about who are the wise people in your life. And they don't have to be elders in age, but they are just wise people. They land on their feet. They navigate life well. They know people. They know circumstances. They know God. They got a history with him. 
They walk with him. They respond well. They're slow to speak, quick to listen. Slow to anger, full of God's love. Who are those people in your life? And who might you need to move toward? I could spend more time there, but I won't. Fourth and final thing that I see, this is a basics for wisdom, is that wisdom always asks us, no demands of us that we consider tomorrow and not just today. When we come to these important forks in the road, we're not just thinking about if this is okay for us to do. Could I do this? Wisdom often asks, should you do this? Paul says all things are permissible, and I'm paraphrasing, but not all things are constructive. And wisdom helps us with one of our biggest issues as fallen, selfish, sinful humans is that we're so doggone short-sighted, right? We're so interested in what's going to give me that pop right now. What's going to satisfy me in this moment right now? But wisdom and the wise and the fear of the Lord, which is going to confront you and confront your priorities, is always going to ask you, I know this is going to be okay today, but, but what about tomorrow? I know you got to think for this person today, but just based on what you've seen of their character, how they're responding to you and how they get angry and how they treat their mother. Like, if you hit fast forward on the tape, maybe we don't use tapes anymore. If you scroll forward, like, how does that end? I know it's going to feel really good to get that off your chest right now when you've got the right comeback, you've been practicing it, and you will be technically right. But how is it going to impact Come on, how's it going to impact tomorrow? I'm looking around, we got a few uh, of our young people in the room. If you could learn this early, it'll save you some trouble. How is this decision? How is this action? How is this purchase? How is this post? How is this, after I hit send on this picture, how is it going to impact tomorrow. Uh, I'm, not a, I'm not a pool player, you know, I don't play billiards that well, but I, I know that good pool players or billiard players know how to get the ball into the holes. But if you, if you ever watch the great ones, they're thinking about getting the ball in the hole, but, but they're also trying to figure out how to get that ball lined up, like for the next shot. That's the difference between like the pros and like me. <laughs> I'm like, oh, let me get this one's close. The pro's gonna step back and go, okay, if I hit that, I need, I need that ball to end up over here. And so they just move a little bit differently. I was talking to my kids just randomly about uh, park, parking near the exit <laughs> at the supermarket. It didn't make sense to them, like, we're about to go in that door right there. Like, why can't we park really close to that door? I said, well, we're going we're gonna to go in this door, but we're going to come out that door. And we're going to come out that door with a big shopping cart full of stuff. And, like, wouldn't you rather, like, 
like put the car where we're going to come out of. And if you're real slick, you put the car by the cart thing so that somebody got the revelation. And you can just see they got it like, and maybe they're looking at me like I used to look at my father like, oh, this guy is wise, you know? If you want to be a fool, just, just think about right now. Just think about today. Just think about this moment. But, but the wise, like, you know, this is why it takes the wise people longer to decide. Because they're thoughtful. And they, and they answer to a higher authority. And they often are appealing to a wisdom of a guy who has a better vantage than they do. I can't think of anything. I need more now than wisdom. Than this knowledge and experience and good judgment that flows through the spirit from a healthy fear of an all-wise, all-knowing, all-powerful, incorruptibly good God. Like, I can't think of anything. I need more. And worship team, you guys can make your way up as I land the plane here. And some of you are here today, and you look, like, behind you. Some of you look a ways behind you, and others look just, like, a little ways behind you and see that you... um, have made a mess and it's not because you're a terrible person it's not because you're an idiot um, but it's, it's probably because you think that you're, you're better at running your life than almighty God you think that the plans that you've scratched on the napkin of your life is better than the plan that God had designed before you were even formed. And the Lord would just say, you want to try it my way? Just, just the first quarter of the year, just try it. It's try to, to, to live as if you fear me. Because I think the deep fear of the Lord, it, it's something that grows and matures over time. And I think for some of us who are just new to this, it's just like, maybe I don't fear the Lord yet, but I can do the sort of things that people who fear the Lord do. And that maybe in time, as I sit with the Lord and as I walk with the Lord, and as I watch this faithful lifestyle that's been told, that I've been hurt, that I heard about, as I watch it bear fruit, I will yield more of my life and more of my life and more of my life to the Lord. And as I lean toward that, I understand that wisdom is not going to come and knock me over the head. It's something that I have to go after and pursue through the scriptures, through time alone with the Lord, the faithful study of the wisdom literature. And if I'm really wise, I'm going to understand that God's favorite conveyor of wisdom oftentimes is other people. And you might be surprised to note that those people might be already in your life. 
They might be on your row right now. And if not on your row, they might be before you or behind you because the Lord is faithful to send you to a church, not just because it's close to your house, but because what you need in your life at this moment is in the house, this house. You say, is he just trying to get me to go to a small group? Yes. Because if you go to a good small group, it's going to set you up right. A good small group's going to get you right. Am I right, Miss Evelyn? Am I right, Brother Tyreek? I'm not just saying that because they're in my small group, but a good small group, they're going to straighten you out. The folks who love you, who care about you, who want to see you win, but will speak truth to you and won't care anything about your attitude. Why? Because they want the Lord to smile at you and for him to be first in your life so that you can begin to live your life with functionality. And life won't get easy, but how many of you know it'll get easier? You build your life upon God's word, his standard, and his plan for your life. Look, try not to miss any of these weeks of this series. I think the Lord's going to bless us with this. But as we, as we close today, would you stand if you can? And we sang this song earlier called Build My Life, which is one of my favorites, especially in this season of life, because it's what we need to build our life upon the love and truth of God. And may all the other things fade away in light of what he has for us. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your wisdom. We repent for the ways that we've forsaken wisdom, that we've leaned to our own understanding. We thought somehow we were smarter than you. But as we enter this new year, Lord, we want to put you to the test. So would you give us the strength, the courage to say yes to you, to trust you, to try you, and watch your glorious unfolding of the life that you have for us. Come Holy Spirit, teach us to be wise, help us to say yes. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.